Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Yes, ma'am. St. Cross, it is indeed my pleasure to be with you this sunny California morning. I bring greetings from the Virginia Theological Seminary there in Alexandria, Virginia, where the very Reverend Ian S. Markham is Dean and President. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to share with you as we are indeed proud of your rector and my friend and we are appreciative of the ways in which you support our institution by providing spaces for our graduates to serve with you and for the opportunities that you allow for them to be able to serve God in the world. I am here because I am on a journey and I appreciate your support. In, two, in 2023, our seminary turns 200 years old. And for this bicentennial occasion, I was asked to engaged in a particularly interesting task. The dean and president of my institution inquired if I would preach 200 sermons around the world to commemorate this occasion. And I said yes before I did the short math. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that that would be the better part of five years. Um, but if I'm allowed to be honest with you, it has been indeed one of the joys of my life to be able to travel and to meet God's people and to be able to engage them in the work of Christian formation. Our seminary celebrates you, and I'm glad to be with you as I get a chance to preach two of my 200 here with you all. This morning we talked about you know, the God of the left hand and how God from the Job text appears in the places of our life that seem to be away from our sources of strength and dominant perception. Job perceived that God was on his left-hand side. Um, I want to pick up on that theme um, in, a, in more of the New Testament verse by lifting up a couple of verses for our consideration. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. For the time that's ours this morning, I'd like to share with you from this thought the impossibility of possessions. The impossibility of possessions. The Gospel of Mark is punctuated with language of action, language of movement, though concise in its ways of laying out the facts, the Gospel of Mark is indeed up to something. We do not get the Jesus of 
the virgin birth. In fact, we get a Jesus fully formed in many respects and moving toward this push. This push is a journey, a journey that is encapsulated in what theologians call the incarnation. What does it mean for a transcendent and imminent God to enflesh God's self and to sojourn with us trapped on this terrestrial ball and to suffer with us, struggle with us, to die because of us, but to live in spite of us and yet to live for us. It is this journey, it is this impetus that moves us quickly across the pages in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is dealing with the Jesus who came preaching, a Jesus who came teaching, a Jesus who came to lead people in the way. This way was to move this ragtag band of disciples and followers into full-fledged discipleship, taking them from their transcendent positions and living in this world to pushing them beyond so that they can achieve life eternal. That yes, it is this eternal God engaged in this love affair with humanity that is taking concrete form in the life of Jesus. This life of Jesus is bringing these disciples into a quickened pace as they head toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem, a place where political and religious power commingled to create a stasis that allowed the Roman Empire to expand its borders. It is these relationships, it is these opportunities for commingling that God is after. These relationships, these institutions, when focusing against the human flourishing of those they're supposed to protect, become set in the crosshairs of Almighty God. So Jesus moves with haste, moves with power, moves with conviction toward this Jerusalem, this place where power has aligned itself against the masses, creating debt, creating subjugation, and creating an environment where it made it very difficult for the poor to function. This Jesus is moving with pace, with vigor, healing people, teaching people. And on this journey, he's confronted by, the text says, a man. Upon careful perusal of the text, he realizes man is one with means. He has possessions. He has accoutrements to signal his socioeconomic reality. What I appreciate about this gentleman is he, like many of us, though he has been able to achieve some of the knickknacks of life, he recognizes there's something deep to be found. There's something beyond the price tag of money. There's something beyond the scope of influence. There's something beyond the ways in which we've crafted our life that evades his apprehension. So he finds himself, he sees Jesus, God in flesh, and this group of disciples moving headlong into this journey that will eventually cost Jesus' life and send him into the yawning jaws of Roman capital punishment. He stops this Jesus. He prostrates himself. He gets down on his knee, and he says, Good teacher, how might I inherit eternal life? How can I grab hold of this thing so elusive that my money can't get me any more access? Can you bring me into alliance and can you bring me into agreement with this state called eternal life? I know that I have mastered what it means to live in this life, but my soul is aching for something deeper. 
I realize that my possessions have led me to impossibility. The things that I have, have me. The ways in which I am addicted to the things that I have makes it difficult for me to transcend the bonds of this earthly realm. I must have the next thing, the latest thing, the shiniest thing because Jesus, I am part of the world that I'm in. I am no different. I'm able to, to my own degree, keep these commandments. I don't commit adultery. I don't steal. I'm able to be a decent neighbor to those around me. But yet in the keeping of the law as best I know, I'm still missing out on life eternal. And my sister and my brother, though it is said that you all live in paradise, I know that even paradise and his angels still have struggles. For it is in this conundrum of temporal beings striving toward the eternal that so many people try to escape in escapism. So amongst the sunshine, amongst the trees, amongst the strong drinks, amongst the ways in which people are able to engage the outside world, people are still ravaged and possessed on the inside. Possessed by possessions, possessed by things that try to get us to transcend this temporal plane. Drugs can't do it. Consumption can't do it. We come to the place that this gentleman found in the text. That all the possibilities that I have still lead me to the impossible nature of transcending into the fullness of what God has. So this man, at which end, confronts Jesus and Jesus does something that I think we often overlook in this text. For those of you who have resources and means, you know what it's like when people look at you, not because of who you are, because of what you have. People look at you as an opportunity, as an assignment, as a way of cozying up. But you don't ever really get a chance to be seen as an individual. What I appreciate about this Jesus is that he looks at this gentleman. He doesn't look through this gentleman. He hears the way that he feebly tries to encounter the law. And instead of shunning him for his hubris, instead of turning him away because of his vanity, he looks at him. The eyes of eternity were turned toward this mortal's eyes. And the God of creation looked at the eternal part of that man that was striving to break free. And he saw the way in which the times that he lived in tried to possess his soul. Tried to thwart God's moving in the world. He saw that the man wanted to be closer to God. He, the man kneeled down. He stopped Jesus in the way. He inquired. He's doing all that he can to get closer. And Jesus looks at him. He acknowledges his presence. He sees his struggle. 
but he loves them. Is that a high watermark for us today? It surely is. How do we take the time to engage in the divinely important act of looking at someone and loving them? Jesus saw the impossibility in the man's eyes as he was trapped by the things that he possessed. But those possessions possessed him so that at the point of opportunity, at the crux of new beginning and old life, this gentleman found himself like Job, feeling saddened and sorrowful because he encountered the almighty God. He saw the fact that impossibility was his trajectory. And nervous about what it meant to engage the newness of life, new patterns of identity, new ways and behaviors, new understandings of self in the world, he flinched. And he sided with the impossibility of the human condition. Before we judge this gentleman too harshly, we are constantly held into account as his opportunity becomes ours today. When God looks at us with those divine eyes of love and stares deep into our soul and says, I require something from you that you're missing. What is our response? Will we tell God that we possess all that we need? Or will we embrace the reality of a new day? My sister and my brother, God extends God's arms to us to offer us possibility in the midst of our impossible situation. It's impossible to get along with self and neighbor. It's impossible for us to find cures of social ills. It's impossible for red and blue to find peace. It's impossible for those apathetic to find engagement. It's impossible for people to find joy in the midst of sadness. It's impossible for us to find hope in a lost world. And Jesus looks at us, the eyes of this text look at us with love and with passion and says to us, you don't have to choose the impossible life. For I have come that you might have life and have that life more abundantly. But my sister and my brother, the God of love, loves us into those choices but will not make those choices for us. I hope that as we think about and pray about what it means to gather as a church and to be Christians in these times as we lament at the loss of those that we love during these strange and unyielding times. We are still faced with possibility when looking at our Savior. Go with God because that God goes with you and going with God on that way provides all the possibility
that we need for the journey. Amen.